dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We all know how important determination and effort is to succeed at what we do. After all, a large portion of success is determined by our effort to get there. What can be overlooked in this process, however, is the nimbleness and agility of mind necessary in order to make the adaptations or even change course as needed on our pathway to success. This flexibility is something that we can cultivate and grow, and it's at the very root of the art of power. Well, first of all, let me welcome you all for being here and just say how happy I am to have the opportunity to serve you on behalf of the St. John Leadership Network. You wouldn't be here today if you weren't successful and if you hadn't had a lifetime or almost a lifetime of experience in leading people. I just want to say that that leadership that you exert it in the business world is very much akin to leadership that people can exert in their different other professions or akin to even leadership that you can exert in your own family. And wherever there's leadership, there's the same dynamic. There's people who are instituting a change and who are responsible for instituting a change, a change in action, a change in behavior. Leaders are people who get things done. And especially I want to emphasize who get done or perform a change in some shape or other in the culture around them or in the operation around them, in the world around them. And that's why I want to speak to you as a priest today, because as a priest, I am a minister of the gospel of Christ, which essentially is not only a message of change, but an agent of change in the world. We follow in the footsteps of the Savior who looked upon a fallen humanity and offered the grace of Christ in order to restore it. He looked upon a lost humanity, and he went out and saved it. Christ, it does not stay neutral to the world around him. He goes out to change it, to save it. He institutes a vision and casts not only a vision, but he himself is driven through the difficulties and trials that come his way to effectively make the impact of the gift of the Holy Spirit upon believers and through believers upon a beleaguered world for its salvation. And he sends Christians in his footsteps. Well, this means, guys, that we're just confronted with a real fundamental statement here, and that's that every Christian is called to lead. I don't care if you don't have a business. I don't care if you're a CEO of 100,000 people, whether you be a monk or whether you be a stay-at-home mom. Every Christian is called to influence and impact the world around them intentionally, purposefully, and creatively in the light of the gospel who has sent them into the world. I'm thinking, for example, of in the extraordinary form of our liturgy as Catholics, when we baptize a little baby, it's very touching 
Because what the last thing that happens after we baptize the baby and we anoint the baby, we give them a white garment and we hand them a candle and all this, the, the priest looks at the little baby being held in the arms of his godfather and, 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 and he looks at the baby and he says, go in peace and may the Lord go with you always. It's, a, it's, a, it's very touching because obviously the little baby is sleeping there in the arms of his godfather and there's the priest saying to him to go. Because after the baptism, immediately after the baptism, this happens within, within three minute, minutes of the person being baptized, the agent of Jesus Christ issues that first formal command to them as a disciple of Christ to go. And that sending is echoed at every single mass and I dare say at the close of every liturgical office that we pray throughout the day where the last thing the priest says to the people is to go, go in peace. I think it's kind of funny. We've, we've almost overemphasized it, the peace part of it. So that's almost like we're saying to someone that you are now done, but it's just the contrary. You are now beginning. We need you to go in peace in order to rock the world. Having made your peace with God, you can now bring that peace into the structures of society, into your family, into your culture by transforming it through effort vision, collaboration, creative energies, innovation. It's the work of evangelization and it's the work that's at the heart of everything that we do in the Catholic Church. And so like when you go to your businesses, remember that you've been sent there from the moment you were baptized as a little baby by the Roman Catholic Church, by Jesus Christ himself in order to institute the changes there that God wants to effectuate. I think far too many of us look at our life from the perspective of neutrality, look at our life often from the perspective that's way too diminutive. We act like we don't matter. We act like our life, one way or the other, ought to be inconsequential. <laughs> I'd like to just let you all know that there's something much more profound to the mysteries of your days than the happy conclusion of your tasks. There's God who is at work in you and through you. And this means that your actions have a value and a weight to them that needs to be linked all the way to God to find its adequate explanation. I am, in other words, an agent of Jesus Christ. And that means that I have to act. If I don't act, then I am not fulfilling the mission that I've been entrusted and that mission is the work of God in the world. It blows my mind, in other words, not so much that Jesus rose from the dead as that he ascended into heaven. And here's why. Because when he ascended into heaven, he sent us into the world to accomplish the very work that he could have done himself. So that's really amazing, right? Like you'd almost say, why would I have to parent this child? Why would I have to correct my friend? Why would I have to speak out on a social issue when Jesus could do it himself? And, and, and it's a good question because you could, you, God could do it a lot better than we could do it. He could do it a lot more easily than we could do it. So why is it that God sends the apostles out to do something he could do himself and then he ascends into the heavens? Well, the answer, my friends, is that although God could do it himself, he chose to do it through us so that we could have the dignity of being God's instrument by doing those actions with him and having him do those actions through us. And so God is using all of us as 
instruments, but that means instruments of actions. You know, sometimes people come to me and they're a little bit puzzled by spirituality. And a lot of business leaders really struggle with, with spirituality because frankly, you kind of wonder what it's all about. I mean, in, when we're doing a project or when we're fulfilling an objective there in our business plan, I mean, everything is about action. You can't go into business and then say, my, my job is to contemplate. <laughs> yeah. My job is to be a really, really nice guy. Like that's not a job, right? That's a, that's a way of life and it's just fine. But we all know that when we are doing business, we are active. And when we go to spirituality, a lot of times we get lost because we say, well, what am I supposed to do with all this? I'm thinking about my sins. I'm thinking about my love. I'm thinking about my faith and I'm thinking about these things. And it can kind of drive us crazy because it doesn't seem to fit into any kind of bigger picture. Well, I, I think that that's because, in fact, prayer and contemplation is supposed to fit into a bigger picture. We're supposed to be drinking water at the fountain that gives us the strength that we need to accomplish our mission. But without a sense of true mission in your life or outward purpose, spiritual exercises and prayer can, can, can be confusing. Right? We can end up becoming scrupulous or lost in the understanding of what am I supposed to be doing with all this? But if you put them behind your mission and start to say, God has asked me to create a change in the world. I'm here to make a wake on this lake called life. I need to be able to, to make an impact and I want to make an impact in the lives of others, of my children, of my spouses, of my friends, of my society. Well, then suddenly the spirituality becomes the food that I need to give me that strength and energy that I need in order to accomplish that. For most of you, your problems in spirituality will be corrected when your spirituality is aligned with your deep purpose for your actions. I am alive to do this, and because of that, God comes to help me. Be it marriage, family, work, all of those things, I want you to see them as God sees them, as his gift to you, as the means by which you can give yourself back to him. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. Christians are called to be people of action and in your businesses that you lead, in the leadership that you exert over our society, you are all people of action. I want to thank you and congratulate you. Every day you slay dragons. Every day you get the job done. Every day you have to face a change and make it happen. And because of you, our society advances. And because of you, goodness can be given to our world. But we can't for a moment think that that effort isn't something that requires cultivation and practice. Just like a football player needs to be able to practice his football throw over and over and over again to do it well, so we who are in the field of power and are asked to wield power in different situations of our lives need to learn how to wield it well. It's not just, in other words, because we can or have the freedom of a position to drive a change that we will drive it well. In fact, without practice and without cultivation, the power that we have can drive us. Instead, in other words, of exercising our influence to change the world, it's just we end up becoming someone who curates 
our ability to change the world without really doing it. We're constantly being driven by the need that we have to maintain ourselves and maintain our status instead of really leading by it. And that, of course, leads us to corruption. And that's something, obviously, we all want to avoid. So at its very root, I've got to learn how to be a true leader who has the ability to effectuate change and does it well. At its heart, surprisingly, action has a dual engine, so to speak. Everything that we do, on the one hand, what we do comes out of a certain kind of anger, a certain drive, if you want to use that term, uh, and it's something that impels us forward into combat, into facing the situation that's in front of us, whatever it is, so that we do it. And it's really at the wellsprings, it's a question of love. Because I love, I cannot sit still in the presence of a change that needs to be effectuated. And so because I love my children, I, I get up and I go to work. Because I, I love the, the, the things that we do at the workplace and the team that I'm committed to, I do it a half stay up late in order to finish a project. Or because I love the church and what she's doing, I innovate a new solution to the problems that we're facing in the world around us. Love drives us. It's St. Paul who says so beautifully that the love of Christ impels us. Now, obviously, we're talking about a very special kind of love there. Not every form of love will impel in the same way. The type of love that impels us is a love that is rooted in a desire to see a change. I want to effectuate change. I desire to effectuate change. And so I act out of that love to do just that. But on the other hand, every action also requires a flexibility that nuances the love that we have and the desire that we have to make change so that we actually hit the target. I refer to this as a cold anger, right? In a cold anger, you're so intent on the change that needs to happen that without the passion and the fury of moving forward in an outward show, you know, of demonstrable care, you focus yourself so accurately on what you have to do that you hit the target at all costs, right? Well, to do that, we need a, a, a really deep drive. And I think it's actually deeper than what most people think. When, you, when you, most of us think about action, we imagine a weightlifter, right? Who somehow or other summons a supernatural strength in order to, to lift this huge weight at, at straining every nerve. And with a passion, he erupts into a, you know, a joyful shout as he lifts all of this weight over his head. And we say, well, that's absolutely amazing. And that's what I want to do. And, and I think that that's fine. But we who are in business know that that type of drive actually has to be channeled in order to become dangerous. If you really want to make a change, a huge amount of intelligence is required in order to adapt to the circumstances around you, which can change at a moment's notice, violently, suddenly. In other words, it's not just because I'm not a hero in business because I decided to try great things. I'm a hero in business when I stand at the top of the mountain, despite the earthquake and the winds that blew and the thunderstorm that came and the fact that we ran out of food and whatever else could happen. The victory doesn't belong to those who shout as they run towards the enemy troops. The victory belongs to those who, no matter what happened, came out on top. 
And to do that, it's the, it's the no matter what happened, that's the real, the real hard part about life. It's the unpredictable, the change in the market, the, the, un, the employee who decides to leave, the, the inability of a, great, of a great team to actually produce their report, the illness that you didn't expect that laid you on your back for three weeks at a key moment in your quarterly progress, all of those different things. Well, we as a leader, we can't afford to simply say, since I'm driving, it's my passion that will see me through. Passion doesn't see you through. Intelligence sees you through. And not any kind of intelligence, but a special kind of intelligence that cultivates the ability to pivot. How do I learn how to be able to turn a seeming setback into an advantage? The saints were famous at this. Great Christian people and families are wonderful at this. Business is a training ground for this. And success is spelled using its vocabulary. What I'm talking about is the power of flexibility. It's one of the most unsung and yet most important attributes of anyone who's effectuating any kind of change. I have to be ready to adopt the way that I am effectuating that change to the circumstances at hand. If I take a bulldozer because I think I have to knock over a tree and I suddenly find myself in a, a landscape that doesn't allow the bulldozer to function properly, I have to adapt and find another method to knock down that tree. What's important is that I've got the tree to knock down, not that I really, really wanted to drive a bulldozer. And we can complain, we can get upset about it because this requires a lot of shifting on our end. But the reason why you are in a position of power is to successfully bring about the change that you have. You have been sent by Christ to lead that organization. You can't afford to simply cry over spilt milk. You need to be able to pivot. And that pivoting requires from us, number one, an awareness of the circumstances that are around us an ability that we cultivate to listen for the possible changes that could come our way, right? This is like that famous Murphy's Law, right? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? Well, that's an example of good leadership. I'm always looking down the road at what could bring success and what could change. And this means that the, on the only real plans that I can accept to make are plans that can be changed because everything around us in the course of time is going to shift and the playing field is going to shift. And my ability to pivot requires that attention to circumstances. And yet the hallmark isn't found in just being attentive to circumstances. My flexibility is perfect when I attain what's called analogy. This is something we have to curate, something we have to choose to do, and something we can do because it's actually the hallmark and the high point of the act of our intelligence. Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. So as we go forth in order to do all the things that God has put us on earth to do and to attain the goals and objectives that we've laid out in front of us in our organizations, in our families, in our world. Flexibility is the key. 
everything, we have to plan on everything changing from the timeline to the personnel to the circumstances. We have to be attentive to that, but our ability to pivot will be artfully done. We will, we will live artfully as a leader, beautifully as a leader, to the degree that our mind is able to exercise what's called analogy. And here's what I mean by analogy. Analogy is when you take one set of circumstances and the definition of something in those circumstances, and you're able to say the same thing using a different set of descriptors. It's something that we do all the time. When we say, for example, that time is money. Well, that's the type of analogy. People understand that. Or when we say that our business is like a family, uh, that also is a type of analogy. You could get, it's anything that when you get right down to it, it's true. But if you were to look at it in a literal sense, you'd say that it's false. Okay. And, and some people really get stuck in this. Their minds almost seem to be incapable of it. <laughs> and yet a great leader has to be able to develop it. And this has, it has at its root, analogy is found, it's almost like a gift, but it's a quality of the intelligence to be able to touch the essence of a thing. Not just to say this is what it is, this is what people call it, but to penetrate with your mind to understand what a thing is beyond its expressions or beyond the form that it finds itself in right now. So this is obviously something you all do. You wouldn't be successful in the positions that you were if your mind wasn't capable of that. It's, it's, I can only be flexible with fidelity to the truth when I'm first of all able to see at the root of things what they are independent of the how that they are at that moment. When I see somebody, I don't know, who's acting rudely. Well, an intelligent person goes beyond the fact that they're acting rudely and touches what's motivating them to act rudely to begin with. And there you could actually, in the heart of a rude action, be touching someone with a lot of potential to do amazing things, even very sensitive things, very gentle things. I'm not gonna get caught up, in other words, at how a person is acting, or how a thing is found, I want to get able to touch the essence of it. My mind is cutting. It's able to pierce. And this, the ancients actually, Aristotle, for example, he said that this is really where intelligence resides. And it's funny because people talk a lot about artificial intelligence. And as, wonder, as wonderful as it might be, or as true as the expression might be in many levels, it can be deceiving because intelligence can never be replaced by a computer. A computer can imitate the effects of intelligence. Its ability, for example, to organize things. Its ability, for example, to find repetition in things. But a computer can never replace an intelligence because an intelligence is a grasp of a thing at its essential roots that go beyond its expression and that permit its concept to be modified, adapted, changed. In other words, I start by my ability to grasp something at its essence. And if I cultivate that well enough to go beyond the appearances of things, I can learn how to express the same thing in an analogous way, in a way that is essentially the same, even though existentially different. Now I can hear you kind of thinking to yourself, what does this actually have to do 
with what I do as a person. Number one, the power of analogy allows you to have the freedom of mind to make the pivots necessary to bring your team to success. If you don't have the power of the mind to say, this in fact is achieving the mission, and this is achieving the mission well, you won't be able to number one, allow yourself to pivot, and number two, you won't be able to explain your pivot adequately to those who are in your charge and asking for an explanation for why it is that you're doing things differently. So having that ability gives you the freedom to number one, make the pivot. And number two, it gives you the ability to tell those around you, hey, this is why we're doing it this way. It's because in fact, we are doing the same thing, even though we had to change the way that we were doing it or the way that it was found in the layout of life. Because in the end, gosh, guys, it doesn't do us any good to say that we were right and the world was wrong. I mean, let me just put it this bluntly to you. When we're the ones responsible for leading a, a group through a change, we can't blame failure upon circumstances. Failure is failure is failure. And that's fine if failure is an option for you. But golly, George, if failure is not an option for you, then you've got to be able to free up your mind to pivot and not just to pivot in a desperate sense, but to pivot in a sense that accomplishes the very same thing you were seeking no matter what. And that ability, that's what we call analogy. How do you learn analogy? Well, number one, you start to practice looking for the deep essence of things and not getting caught up in the details. It's a, it's a, it's a gift of mind, but it's something that you can cultivate. Really practically, it's something that the arts help us with a ton. The place of the arts in the life of cultivating a leader is crucial because in the arts, you are looking at a symbolic expression of the essence of a thing and learning how to appreciate that allows the mind to develop that flexibility. Same thing with reading history. When you see how many great leaders had to pivot in incredible ways in order to bring their original idea into fruition. But beyond all that kind of philosophizing about it, in the end, let's remember that being analogous is God's language. God made each person the same and utterly different. The same in nature, in essence, being that of humanity, and yet as different as everyone's smile. He's able to speak victory through defeat, life through death. God is the, is the ultimate intelligence who is able to effectuate his plan in every circumstances without the, the, the passion and the fury that was required by us, but with the cold and beautiful light of the truth. God is extremely flexible, and so we need to be as well. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.